Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Geekish Cast, episode 94. Those who can, do, as well as teach. A conversation with Ben Cohen cartoonist, and professor of sequential art. This episode is brought to you by Things from Another World. Check them out at geekishcast.com slash T-F-A-W. Welcome back to Geekish Cast, episode 94. I am your host, Jeremy, and today I am joined by Ben Cohen, cartoonist and professor in sequential art. How you doing, Ben? Good. How are you? I'm doing quite well, thank you, and thank you for taking the time to join me. I know you've uh, got a pretty busy schedule going right now. No, not a problem. All right. So, just to kind of say how we met, we accidentally bumped into each other talking about Faith No More on Twitter. That's right. Yeah. So, uh, Faith No More, greatest band in history or just greatest band? Uh, I don't know. I, I, they're tied for first with Mr. Bungle. That's as far as I, I'm concerned. That's yeah. Not a lot of people remember that reference. Yeah. Yeah. I, anything Mike Patton, I, I'm pretty much into. Yeah. So you must've been uh, pretty stoked when they announced their new tour a few years ago. Yeah. In fact, I got to see them in Chicago last year. Yeah. Last year. Or was it the year before? I can't remember. Whatever that they were there. It was awesome. Um, I, I saw them. For the real thing tour, yeah, and I didn't like the tour. It was like a warm up or something at the Stone in San Francisco. That's awesome. Have, well, here's the thing: it was terrible. Oh, <laughs> it was terrible. But um, I think it was at the Stone. It might not have been there, but it, where I saw them, it was their sound was off. Oh. It was just, and it was just after I discovered them, so it was a little bit of a. That's a bummer. Maybe they're not as good as I thought, but in time, I got over it. Yeah, my first concert was that I went to was in 91 day of the green day on the green in Oakland Coliseum. Oh yeah. And that was Soundgarden, Faith No More, Queensryche and Metallica. And That's a hell of a lineup. We, we tore up the the entire field. Where all, the audience was in the in the outfield and we mm-hmm. threw it towards the bleachers where uh Queensryche was playing. I got hit in the back of the head with a like, <laughs> 3 foot piece of sod. It was great. Oh. Yeah, that's pretty wow. awesome. That's a good lineup that you got, though. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, so let me ask you this, and we'll kind of try to... Obviously, so we do a geek podcast yep. for comics, movies, blah, blah, blah. Um, the thing that interests me about you is that you are both a working cartoonist, but you also teach mm-hmm. comics, basically. Yeah. So what... We go back to when you were little, Ben. Okay. How did you discover comic books? What What really piqued your interest in them? Uh, well, when I was four, there was uh, two ladies that lived down the street from us, and they brought me a copy of Asterix the Gaul and Tintin. And the format, immediately, I just, I liked it. Mm-hmm. But I got into 
uh, I think I think it was in fourth grade when I read uh, the Wolverine Limited series, and that kind of got me more in, involved in geek culture in general, although I was already a huge Star Wars fan like everybody that was my age. And from there, got into collecting and got into um, making comics more and more, and eventually went to school for it, which was awesome. Okay, where'd you go to school at? Savannah College of Art and Design. Okay. They were the first to have a graduate program in comics, and they had an undergrad program uh, as well, and I started there and then went to the graduate program as well. Okay, so, yeah, you, it's kind of surprising sometimes to find people that actually went to school to be a comic artist instead of just ending up there. It's not the smartest move. <laughs> oh. time but it's it's an expensive way to go for this type of business which you know luckily i have other skills so i can pay bills in other ways as well oh that's good uh what what is your preferred backup plan to pay, uh, make money when you do this um well right now i work my wife and i are both artists but her dad is a doctor and we have been supporting ourselves and our daughter through our art but primarily through paying bills, uh, working for him. So we actually are clinic directors working in a chronic pain practice, Okay, which is kind of a weird thing. So I teach at night, and I do comics at night and on weekends, and when we have you know time off, I do some extra stuff. But, yeah, the, the bills aren't always paid in education or comics. Right. Well, and I think that's that's important for people to hear, too, is that a lot yeah. of working artists, you know, whether it's directors, actors, uh, whatever, still have to have a backup plan. Yeah. I was actually talking with somebody. They On Twitter, we were they were asking for your seven jobs. So it's like tweeting out the seven jobs. And like half the people that are in comics, they were at one point a barista, including myself. Oh, yeah. That's just a typical path. <laughs> Well, and you're you're pretty familiar with the uh, the Bay areas of California, yeah. then. Yeah. So, do you know the Monterey Bay at all, Santa yeah. Cruz? Yeah. Okay. So, we lived in Santa Cruz for a while, and I have ne- never met more doctoral candidates who were baristas <laughs> than there in my life. Absolutely. Or or even pe- you know people with masters and yeah. like almost their doctorates are pouring coffee for seven bucks an hour, in a town that's almost as expensive as Manhattan. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The whole well, th- that whole area is like that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. See, I was lucky. I was selling toilets. You were practical. Exactly. And I came to, well, so you know a little bit about me. When I was young, I was going to be a comic book artist. Of course, I never had the uh, discipline to go to school and actually learn how to do it. I just drew well, a lot. That's, I had it in my head that uh, that's how I was You took the classic it. path. Yeah, except around 20, I realized I had bigger bills than I had desire to sit there and draw. Yeah. So I ended up following my dad into plumbing and then ended up hating that and going into sales. And surprisingly, I'm good at talking. So, you know, that worked out. That's good. Yeah, I actually think that if you have a trade, it's a really good path uh, to go down and, and support yourself as an artist or whatever your passion is because it's one of those semi-stable things where right. people always need a plumber. Oh yeah, it's absolutely. crazy. And yeah, it's a good thing to to do, and and it's sobering to be at this point in in our lives. But at the same time, I got over the 
the sting of it, you know, ten years ago, so I don't really care. <laughs> right. Well, it's, you know, reality is a cold slap across the face very mm-hmm. often, but I think it's better just to deal with it and realize that the people that are making it full-time as an artist got lucky, and it's not just because of their skill. Yeah. And I'm also n- no longer jealous or envious of them. I it is a time, you know, their time and place in in history, and the and the point that they developed and the community that they were in. But it's mm-hmm. also they put in a lot of work, and we oh, have yeah. conversations all the time with people um, that are quote unquote more successful in our mediums. My wife and I, she's a jeweler, but then they look at us and they say, "You have a kid," <laughs> you know, things like that. There's these things that you don't get that you have to sacrifice to get to that point and so it's a it's a real balancing act oh yeah absolutely and i think yeah and, and having having children i think makes you accept the reality and oh, yeah. you just realize that hey if i'm gonna draw eight hours a day i need to also do medical coding or whatever right. for eight hours a day exactly yeah it's, i've talked to a few actors who have told me they basically they take tv and movie jobs as many as they can get so they can afford to take stage jobs later. Oh, that's interesting. That's Yeah, and I thought that was kind of not, I mean, not the same as holding down a full-time job at a retail store so you can draw, but kind of the all-actor version of the same paradigm. I like that. That's good. Yeah, so um, tell me a little bit. So you are actively working as a cartoonist as well right now. Yeah, I do my own. I'm sort of... A one-man operation. I I do my own thing with that, and so I do small print runs. Uh, I try to do. I've been able to the last few years do one book a year, mm-hmm. and one that I'm pretty every year. I always like that year's book more than the last year's, which just means I'm progressing. Yes. But I'm finally at a point where I I figured out how to time manage and how that affects the art and the writing and how to put that out on the page in some way, and. Now I'm at a point where I'm figuring out more and more how I want to market uh, things. And and part of that is that I'm a socially conscious person, so I have Mm -hmm. specific things that if it doesn't really feel right to me, I don't do it. Um, I have to be pretty comfortable. So it's very limited runs of of the comics I do. And uh, at some point, I'm hoping to have that be sort of an annual thing where there's an ongoing series because I know the audience would prefer that and not be these short little segmented stories but something that's longer. Um, and then as far as other work, I do you know, some illustration and things like that as well. Okay. Uh, ben, I'm going to take a pause here. We should probably cut video because I'm getting a little interference from... Uh, okay. What was that last question I just asked you? Uh, we were talking about... Uh, me making comics, which I think I finished talking about. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, that's right. You were saying you do, you're doing an annual story right now. Right. So. Yeah. All right. So. Okay. Okay. I'm kind of getting my head back together now. No problem. All right. So, we'll just kind of talk our way through that one then a bit. Um, so you do an annual, like a one cohesive story. About how many pages do you do each year? Well, it's been because. Because I end up doing more projects than I plan on doing, I always end up editing it down. So uh, last year's book was only 20 pages, but it worked okay. that way. Um, this year's book, 
looks like it's going to come in around 40. And I think I've decided that I'm going to stick with just 20 uh, from here on out unless for some reason somebody wants to hire me to do my own thing, in which case I'll do it every month. Gotcha. Well, let me. So you said you also work as an illustrator on this side. Yep. Uh, do you? Let me, let me figure out the right way to ask this. How how do you find projects to work on or clients? Is it mostly local? Do you look on the internet? What are your avenues for picking up extra artwork work? Um, at this point, I'm asked, which is great. So okay. uh, either through personal connections or uh, through uh, social media. Somebody, if they have a project, they'll come to me and they'll say, I really like what you do, uh, and uh, I, if I'm able to conceivably do it, we, we negotiate it out of price, and then if they're okay with that, we uh, go ahead with the project. Okay. And let me ask you this, because this is one I think a lot of artistic people have trouble with. How much of your time is actively spent promoting yourself as an artist? I do it all the time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I do it all the time, but the reality is that everybody's out there uh, putting themselves out there in some fashion. So the I feel strongly that I should not be compartmentalizing myself in a way that, uh, you know, sort of, there's one version of Ben and there's no, there's all, there's all, it's all Ben. So mm-hmm. I, um, am speaking up on issues all the time and I'm, and I'm sharing other people's work all the time and I share my work when I feel like I should. Uh, so that all comes into play. It limits in some ways, uh, the jobs that I get, but at the same time, I'm not I'm not offered or seeking jobs that don't fit with fit for me, and mm-hmm. that comes down to a basic philosophy that we live in a global society and we are at a point where everybody can uh, that has access to a computer has the ability to work with anybody in the globe. That also means, as an artist or as a teacher, um, I should be able to find an audience or find students that are receptive and can use what I offer. And I don't need to push other people out of the way. I don't think that that's a thing that needs to happen anymore. I think there's enough people in the world to find your audience. And I'm more interested in, you know, be finding things that I like and interested in and uh, finding people that are like-minded in certain ways. Okay. Yeah, because I think, I mean, and we kind of go off into two different areas there, um, your social consciousness, but also about how you promote yourself as an artist. Right. Um, And I'm going to make one statement about one thing, and then we'll move on to the next from there. But (laughs) I think one of the things that's hard for artists to do is to wrap their head around the time that you're going to spend more time as a salesman than you are as an artist to make it as an independent artist. Um, I, I know that was a thing I didn't get until I was well past my actively trying to be an artist phase. Yeah. Um, and it's a thing like my son is a brilliant painter. I wish I actually had had one of his paintings in here to show when I said that, but, um, (laughs) 
he, you know, I got him a job as a plumber, but he, he's just like, nope, I'm going to do art, I'm going to write music, I'm going to paint, I'm going to draw, and that's what I'm going to do. Which I respect his, yeah, is uh, sticking to his guns, but you know, you know, I think you know what, what I'm saying. <laughs> well, it's hard. I, I it's hope, hard yeah. as a parent, especially if you've gone down that path. Um, but at the same time, if he's able to pull it off, everything that you did as a sacrifice then ends up being, oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I did a good thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, he'll figure it. So in yeah, and then so we kind of started to talk a little bit about your social consciousness as a well, just as a human being. Yeah. Um, and I actually listened to it's been a while now when you and I first started talking about having you on. What was the show you were on? Was it Gin Gin and Tonic? What was the name of it? Oh yeah, uh, v- vodka o'clock. Vodka o'clock. Yeah. I don't know how I got Gin and Tonic. That's all right. <laughs> yeah. But um, that episode that you did with her was very much about um, kind of your social consciousness and um, how does that? I mean, I always have trouble when talking about delicate subjects finding okay. the right. That's way. right. I'm, well, I'm I'm kind of a ham-fisted guy and I, I, I do things indelicately very often. Uh, you, you won't get in trouble with me. Don't worry about. That. Okay, good, good, good. Well, let me let me start with this here. Then let me. Um, you're. I, I'm assuming you're aware of this, but your family was Jewish. Yep. And, uh, you know, who else was Jewish, at least at his inception, was Superman. Yeah, absolutely. And Siegel and Schuster were both uh, uh, kids that grew up part of the Jewish community. Um, and I know very often they draw upon uh, Christian imagery for Superman now. Yeah, it's a little but, disturbing to me. Yeah, I was going to say, so it's kind of a strange case of appropriation. Yeah. But wasn't Superman more of a Moses originally when he was created? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, all, all characters that are created are amalgams of things. One thing was that, um, shoot, I can't remember whether it was Siegel or Schuster, but one of them, their father was killed. And Superman, the idea of Superman was as much a father figure as mm-hmm. a, uh, as a figure, as somebody who is uh, an immigrant in the American society, as somebody who is uh, a symbol for Jewish people uh, who were under threat from the Nazis in Germany at that point. So there's a lot of different American symbolism, personal symbolism, and uh, specifically Jewish symbolism that comes into play. And it's also Mm -hmm. just a story about a guy you know, who likes a girl and, you know, all that stuff, too. So right. it, there's a lot there for anybody to grab onto, uh, no matter who they are. So it's not like you put something out in society and then you re- retain ownership. Um, as long as it's not erasing that history, I'm okay with it. I don't mind Christians, a Christian society finding... Uh, some relatability to that that character. I think that they're that's important. It's just how you frame it afterwards and the symbolism that you're using afterwards. If you are the company that controls it, um, I, that's where I get a little little squeamish about it. But you know, it's he's been around a long time. A lot of people can have different opinions and different versions of him. It's okay. Right. Well, and that's going to happen with any character over time. Absolutely. Uh, and you know, here's I'm going to say something that's going to this is going to be kind of an ugly statement. But, okay. Uh, in America, 
it was a long time before uh, Catholics and Jews were even considered to be quote unquote white. Yeah. Um, for uh, well, for Jews especially, it wasn't until world, after World War II, which is kind of an ugly. Yeah, we're. I mean, we're still under attack. It's really interesting. I don't. Mm-hmm. I'm. I think that we are. It's we're a difficult set. We're a hard thing to understand because we're actually not all one. We don't all Jews don't look like one type of person outside. Oh. That's in part because of uh, forced migration patterns uh, and you know just running away and then trying to become part of a new community while not losing yourself at the same time. It's this long history of not really having your feet in the same place for a long enough period of time to have a solid culture. And that's why we tend to argue also a lot as a, as a community in and amongst ourselves. And you can't find, you can't find two of us and put us in a room and have us agree on just about anything. Um, and not to stereotype us, but that just seems to be what we're comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, a, it's an interesting thing. And then as far as, being compared to uh, the Catholic experience, it is similar in the U.S. in the U.S. because we weren't accepted, and they weren't right. accepted, and that's the way that goes. Yeah, and, and you know, there's the old, uh, you know, the old story about oh, when my ancestors came over, there were signs up that said no dogs and no Irish, right? Blah blah blah, exactly. and that was very much a part of the Italian and Irish background at the point. Um, and America has not had, I mean, we are a people who could do great things if we could ever get all on the same page. But we have not had a great story of integration necessarily in the society. Well, it's in, I, I think that we have a better story of integration. I think we've had more success at integration than any other place in the history. It just goes to show how difficult that is. Um, and... A lot of people who have not integrated into the American society who are outside of it kind of don't understand how difficult that really is. We mm-hmm. also have time and time again not embraced that idea. We have uh, fought against the idea of integrating. I grew up in a really integrated community, and I was lucky because of that. It's a strength. And it's not about erasing other people's paths, paths or uh, or getting ahead of them in line. It's about harvesting our understandings, both that are in common and not in common, and working on problems together and solving them together. And that's it's not easy. It's a hard thing. And right now, we're very raw because we are facing a lot of that in the moment, but we go through these periods and we usually come out stronger afterwards. And that's my hope anyway. Right. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to use the Muslims to, to kind of draw an analogy, but American Muslims consider themselves to be Americans. Yeah. Um, and for the most part in most communities, they're allowed to, to be Americans period. But in France, the French are very into being French. They like, they want their language left alone, and they kind of ghettoize where uh, Muslim people go. And I don't believe a lot of the immigrants that moved to France proper 
necessarily ever feel fully integrated into the society. Yeah, I, it's hard for us to know, but I think that's the story that we're told, and, and it may be, yeah. may be true. Um, I, just, I don't know. That's that's the way I've understood. I mean, I have, I've I've heard this as well, and and it's the only reason I'm cautioning us is because we we don't walk in either of those shoes. But uh, at the same time, we uh, we obviously struggled here. But those who who actually in, communicate and have face to face and get to uh, have the pleasure of getting to know people who are Muslim in America. Uh, that stuff disappears almost immediately. You know, any, mm-hmm. any, you know, people are people. Everybody has similar experiences, and we, in general, are more accustomed to um, seeing each other. One of the problems we have is that we have uh, built this community on what I consider to be a uh, somewhat racist pretty much racist uh, system. And so as we move forward, acknowledging that and, and listening to each other is really important. And we're able to uh, move past a lot of things on an individual peer-to-peer type of situation. And the more we're able to do that, the more uh, we'll be able to fix a lot of the problems that we have. And I, and I agree that other societies, perhaps France, don't uh, have that long history of struggle with this issue. Right. Well, at least that's that's how how we've come to understand it. Sure. What was it uh, Churchill once said? You can always count on America to do the right thing after they've done everything else. <laughs> yeah, it, and I'm, it's, I'm probably misquoting. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it it makes me think of things like, um, you know, they wanted to send you know Jewish refugees wanted to come to the United States in the build up to World War II, and we turned away boatloads. Yeah. Um, you know, we've had this, well, it, here's, here's a great example. You know, 12 years ago, you could stack the election in the Republican favor by putting anti-gay marriage bills in every state. Right. Now, earlier this year, we had some lunatic go into a gay club and shoot a bunch of people. And in that same state, an attorney general who had just been pushing anti-gay laws came out and said, you can't push around our LGBT community like this. Yeah. So after everything else has been done, we usually get on the right page. The problem is, is people die in the process. Yeah, I mean, as long as, well, it's not the best approach, number one. It's a horrific approach. But secondly, um, it's, it's frustrating for those who are caught in that situation because not just because of the horror of what's happened, but the actions are um, so obvious that you don't need to do certain things. And we have a hard time because we're a political culture and and we're a financially run culture that we mm-hmm. we have we struggle with it. Yeah. yeah. Wow. We kind of taking kind of a dark. Yeah. Corner. Sorry. <laughs> No, no, no. Hey, comments, everybody. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's one of those things that happens to me. I start on a topic, and next thing I know, I've spun myself out of control on it. You know, honestly, and comments, and, and, and I'm sort of doing a little trick here, pulling us back around, but... Sure. The last four years, five years, the comics community has evolved and changed in ways 
And it's in part because of social media, and it's in part because of the education that you can now get, and it's in part because of uh, conventions and just local scenes doing local things and finding out about each other. But basically, we're at a point where those who have been pushed aside or pushed to the shadows all along and actually have been there all along, and then those who are following in their footsteps are now uh, finding a voice in comics, and we have a much... We have a, we have sort of a picture of what could be and what uh, what still needs to happen uh, in comics in a way that I think is, is really great. I, I, I never expected to have this many people of color, uh, LGBT, uh, female... Um, and and white male creators coming together and creating work that honestly is both more fun and also more politically in tuned and more uh, more interesting and and it's you're seeing it happen even at the big two. There's you know they're always slow. They're like the U.S. They're They'll mm-hmm. get there eventually, but it's you know, frustrating. Yeah. But they are—they're making changes too, and we're seeing people go from doing an indie book to writing or drawing at the big two. People that would never have had a chance because they would have been cast aside for what they look like or who they're perceived to be, and it's really cool. Like my daughter, I can find—I have so many comics I can read with her that she can then latch onto and be like, oh, I want to do this when I grow up, or I want to read this uh, continuing. And not only that, but it goes over to, into the films, which makes them more money. And, you know, it's there's all kinds of benefits that come from it, um, not just on personal levels, but on financial levels. It's kind of, we're, we're in a new renaissance, and I, I like it. Right, and a lot of that's technologically driven as well. Like you were saying, you do small print runs. Yeah, I mean, I can do... Which, I can do whatever I want. I can put yeah. it online and have it be out there for free. Um, I can submit it to Comicsology, which I plan on doing at some point, and I can uh, print up little little copies for myself, or I can do a Kickstarter and get a big print run going, mm-hmm. or a publisher can come in and be like, eh, no, you don't have to do all that work, <laughs> right. which is fine. But, they can do that. Yeah, but before 15 years ago, you know, I mean, print on demand is like a super simple thing you can do now. Yeah, you know, I mean, yeah, it, the cost is higher per issue, but all you got to do is you know do all the background work and throw it up; it's ready to go. That's right. And before fifteen years ago, you, if you were printing less than I don't know what was it, two or three thousand, yeah, you couldn't do it at all. Yeah, I unless, I did a thousand print run, and that was expensive. It was black yeah. and white, and it was it was it, it's insane. Nice. And you don't make that money back because you don't have a distribution system that's functional. Right. So you have copies that sit in your closet. And now I, I would never, I, if I had what everybody has now, I would never have done that because it was a dumb move. Yep. Waste of paper. Well, at least you had kindling. Are you guys allowed to burn over there? Or we are. We're not we really, can, we, yeah, we're not really allowed <laughs> to in Central California. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> no. Um, oh yeah, our air quality here has been so bad lately. 
this must have been what, like, that hellish period when the dinosaurs were alive and right. the air was full of crap and just fires burn up. This must have been what it was like. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, but that was the thing. And so there used to be a heavy um, barrier to entry for both filmmakers and comic producers. Yeah. If you wanted, yeah, if you wanted to publish your own comic, well, like you were saying, you had to buy a thousand copies. Right. Now, how are you, without a distributor, going to get out and sell that thousand copies? You almost can't do it. Yeah. It's, and well, here's the thing. So, I'm sure you remember. Okay, I'm, I'm gonna. I'm talking a lot this episode. I don't normally. No worries. That. Okay. It's better than me talking more than I should. Yeah. Well, so uh, a buddy of mine often co-hosts with me when we talk comic books. And he likes to get me started on Jim Lee, because I'll tear into Jim Lee or anybody else from Image Comics okay. real badly. I'm not going to ask you to do the same, since you're in that industry. All right. Uh, here's what a lot of people don't remember. Before Image Comics came along and totally shit on the process of releasing material on time, mm-hmm. you didn't have to hold up as high a bar to get into a Diamond Comics catalog. Okay. Yeah. Then Image Comics came along, and they started blowing dates out, and all of a sudden there were penalties and all this stuff for doing it, and minimum sales numbers got higher. And Image Comics, not even through the devious maneuver of trying to bar more independent comics, just through carelessness, mm-hmm. screwed up the distribution further for an independent comic creator. Yeah. It- I hold a lot of animosity towards all of those guys, and that's one of the reasons why. Yeah, I, I definitely, they have been uh, both a positive, I've had positive and negative feelings since, you know, they were at Marvel. And mm-hmm. one thing that I do sort of give them a little credit for, um, and I think it's significant, is that, well, you can look at Image right now and see what they're publishing and you can still see that their uh, chutzpah to be able to just be like, I want the contract I want. No, I want to go out and do my own thing. Uh, broke a system that was a hierarchy of you train with this person, then you get you know, then you get a shot at a book, and then you know this that whole thing. They created a new system. Now, in the meantime, in the 90s, they put thousands of comic shops out of business. They they created a machismo uh, aesthetic that just was, in a small amount, it's interesting, but in a huge, like, all the comics look like this idea, it was obnoxious. And... um, Ego came into play, which it had always been, but in a in a you know superstar type of way. There's all these different negative things happen, but they did sort of by breaking the system, allow for it to re- be rebuilt, and we're seeing some of the benefit from that at this point. I don't know where we would be if they hadn't have done what they did. Is what right. I'm saying. No, and I get that. And <clears throat> here's the thing: if you look at Image's current catalog. There is some amazing stuff they're putting out. It, there, I, there's so much good stuff coming out of there. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, but they did some terrible things in the process. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Agreed. Um, 
see, the thing is, I, I, I end up, well, like I said, Paul puts me on a course where I end up tearing into Jim Lee on an almost weekly basis. <laughs> okay. And one of these days, him and Rob Liefeld are going to show up and, like, smash the windshield out of my car. <laughs> yeah. Because I just, I have a lot of animosity towards him for that period of time. I guess that's the long and the short of it. But I also don't think you're, Jim Lee's... You're not alone, so that's, yeah. that's true. <laughs> yeah. But here now, 20 years later, we're back to a point where comic books... This is the first time comic books have sold this well since 1997. Yeah. And that's got to be kind of uplifting to hear that as a as a cartoonist. It's, it's crazy. I It's so... It, it's great. I mean, part of it is that there's... I don't know. There's so many different things that are coming to play on that, and um, it's just really good. I the influence that comics have at this point on the culture is uh, in in America. I think is really gratifying, and I don't. I don't. Uh, I grew up thinking that this medium is better than it's being characterized to be, and it still has a long way to go. We don't make the money that you make in film or gaming or um, or TV, but at the same time, people are starting to see that it's a medium that can be read by almost anybody and mm-hmm. that anybody who's interested in making them can do that. It's a cheap, cheap way to get your artistic and your literary voice out there um, and so I, when I teach students, I, I tend to focus on what, what do you want to say? How do you want to say it? How do we get you to say those things? And what skill set do you need to have to show that? There, there's fundamentals involved, but there's also a lot of not losing their, um, their natural gestures and their, uh, their personal voice along the way. And I, and that's how you build an industry. Yeah, and one of the things I wonder about now, and this this may be too big a question for what we're talking about. Um, uh, we're going to take for uh, for granted. I'm going to skip right over the fact that you can do things with the comic book that you can't do with film. I, Watchmen proved that. Sure. Um, but these days, because you can take your phone out of your pocket and shoot a movie. And with a couple hundred dollars worth of software, you can put out a 45-minute movie almost as easily as you can put out a 40-page comic. That's true. So that's your um, choices. That's all. Yeah. So I'm kind of wondering if if the independent movie is the independent comic of today or will, because filmmaking is, is a discipline, a separate discipline from comics, do you think one will affect the other? Or is that just... I, I think that they're related. I think they're related. I think that they're, the movements are related. For example, Tarantino and Kevin Smith are making films at the same time that Image Comics is being developed. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a connection. And so I think that it's, it just gives audience and creators choices that, um, and that's, that's a good thing. I think the more choices they have, uh, the better it is. I think economically it can make things challenging, but I'd rather, um, I think it's more important that the arts 
in general be of use as opposed to uh, just be of value to a select few. So uh, being of use to more people is, is more important than, than uh, making a lot of money. Okay. All right. Let's, um, let's shift gears here a little bit because one thing I'm really interested in is that you teach people sequential art. Okay. Um, how did, well, how did the idea to start teaching people come about? Did somebody come to you and say, hey, can you show me how to do this? Can you give me an idea of um, how that came? Well, two, it's two things. One is I, I have teachers in my family. My, mm-hmm. my mom has been an educator. My, my aunt was a, she taught uh, fourth grade the whole time that I, I've known her. Um, and so education has been there. Um, I liked the classroom. I have always liked the classroom. I, even in classes that I don't do very well in, I, I find that being in that environment is really productive. And, uh, I went to school studying comics. So that just seemed sort of natural. I stayed, the reason I went back for my graduate was so that I could get a job teaching. And I had a choice between going back to just study comics and end up with a master's so that I could teach at the graduate level, or I had the option of going to an art school that had an art education department. And I chose to stick with comics because I felt like I needed more training. Um, so out of call, out of graduate school, I was able to get a t- job teaching comics, and that was kind of amazing. But I was also at the same time teaching uh, at there's a <clears throat> out sort of well, it's a street center, uh, but it's part of the correctional system in Vermont. So it's mm-hmm. people who are on parole who are just got getting out of of jail, it's an educational opportunity for them. And so I was teaching art uh, focused on comics in that situation as well. And in both situations, at the, col- at the college and there, I was realizing that the fundamentals weren't solid um, and the students weren't coming in with what they really needed to uh, work on such a focused medium that's really complex and hard hard to work through, especially in just a semester. It's actually easier to do it in a studio set in a um, in a small dedicated section of time where you um, spend like a week intensive, as opposed to every week coming in for an hour. <laughs> that doesn't work as well. So uh, that led me back to school to get a teacher's license. And so I was able to now teach high school and grade school kids. And at all levels, when I'm teaching comics, it really comes down to some basic things. And and that is that it's storytelling, it's drawing, it's writing, but most importantly, it's figuring out uh, yourself and what you want to say. And so I usually focus on that and sort of build from what the student wants to do. And that's where we do a lot of things that are called integrative curriculum and student-centered teaching and all this uh, education mumbo-jumbo. 
Okay. <clears throat> so now you still you're teaching on your own now? Yeah. Is that or, okay. Yeah. How I, does how does go ahead? Well, I I'm I'm working on developing a class for for a college here. Um, okay. And we'll see what happens with that. I'm not sure whether it will go it has to go through this whole approval process, but I'm working on that. And that's um less of a it's there's going to be drawing and and writing involved, but it's it's mostly about um, some of the societal things that we've been talking about, um, but using comics as a way of getting to that. Uh, the stuff I do with kids or the stuff right, I do uh, work with kids who are on the autism spectrum, for them it's uh, just this really great way of focusing on something that works through um, not solving problems, but managing their um, situation in a way that uh, keeps them focused on other things. It's it's really fun uh, way of helping them out. So you're in the Vermont area then. Yep. Okay, and you're teaching. Do you take private pupils, or how does that work? Yeah, I take um, so local kids. I sometimes do a group class where mm-hmm. a bunch of kids that. Um, actually end up usually knowing each other. Um, we'll do like some assignments and we share what brought them into the class and what they're interested in. And usually we'll have some repeat uh, sessions and then they go off and they kind of start doing their own thing. It's, it's kind of fun. Uh, okay. So if somebody wanted to find you, how would they find you over there? Uh, they, they can call me um, and they can also find me on the web, but usually what happens is uh, it's a kind of a referral system where gotcha. some some parent has been in, had a kid in my class. The other thing that happens, I I, I did, I'm not doing this year, but the last two years I did Vermont Comic Con, and I got a lot of um, stuff from that. I actually did the first year a workshop with kids, and then the second year, just people would come by and they were like, "Oh yeah, I saw you last year. I went, I forgot to." do the class so they they call me up okay so do you have a website or something people can yeah. go to for uh, so my website is uh, bencohen.co.com so co and uh my you can always find me on twitter i'm there all the time at ben comics and you, know, you can direct message me if you have any interest okay great I just want to make sure that if somebody is listening and they're in Vermont, they can find you. Absolutely. Um, also, that's a that's a couple of interesting senators your state has there, isn't it? <laughs> we have a we have a, a it's I so I lived in California. I lived in Georgia. I was actually born in Colorado. It's the first place I've ever lived where you actually have pretty good access and results from your representative. It's a crazy place. Mm-hmm. We're uh, we're lucky to be a small state. Well, yeah, that's that's kind of the thing. I mean, California, we've got thirty million, forty million. We got a lot of people. I don't, it was thirty-five like fifteen years ago, so that's probably a lot. Uh, I don't know. So we we only get two senators, but that's spread out over that many millions of people, right? Um, you guys, what do you have? Seven hundred thousand people. They're Not even. A million, maybe. Not even that. Yeah. Um, but so Bernie Sanders, obviously everybody knows who that is yeah. now, right? But your other senator 
is Patrick Leahy. Right. And he's And Patrick Leahy has been in two or three Batman movies. That's right. He's he's a huge Batman fan. Yeah. He's obsessed. Matter of fact, if you go to The Dark Knight, the man who tells the Joker, we're not afraid of you, that's Patrick Leahy. That's right. Yeah. It's always, I, I find that interesting. Yeah. Those two guys in one state. He's, uh, yeah, and, and Bernie's great. Like w- The medical office that I work with, when we've had issues, we've been able to just call up their office and they get to work on it. And, they, you know, at more than half the time they're able to solve it which is crazy because he's an independent from Vermont. I mean, how right. do you get anything solved? <laughs> but uh, I guess we'll have a little bit more clout now moving forward. Right, and he's going back to being an independent. Oh. This is such a weird election cycle. Yeah. Um, I, I am kind of wondering if, if political parties are done in another 15 years. That would be nice, actually. Uh, yeah. George Washington didn't want political parties. No, he did not. Um, actually, the first political party formed uh, in the UK was to make sure that there was a party loyal to the royal families. Exactly. I, th- yeah. I think you get rid of that, you get rid of, uh, and you really do a better job of actually integrating uh, communities, and we have a really functional society with as complex as it is. Um, but there's a lot of invested interest in, in not doing that, and We'll see what happens. Well, yeah, but I mean, now I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say that Citizens United was a positive thing, but it had the unintended consequence of making it not necessary for a political party to raise money. That's true. Um, yeah. The the unintended. Well, you know how it is. Oftentimes, a law is passed with one intention, and it becomes something else. Sure. You know, you try to ban gay marriage, the next thing you know, nobody can get married in the state. You know, stuff like that. Right. <laughs> um, this is one of those things that they're finding out. <clears throat> I mean, it's falling apart on Trump now, it appears. I, I hope. Hope. It's falling apart on him now. But he didn't have to do anything with his political party and still became the nominee. He's a, he's a completely interesting and completely scary situation. I mean, he really doesn't have to spend a dime. No. He just needs media, to be his, himself. Yeah, the media and is more than happy oh, to okay. give him $10 billion in like, uh, yeah. what do you what do you call it, in, in like contributions with just free airplay. And he's proved that about, you know, 10 to 20% of the populace, that's, they, uh, that's their thing. Oh, yeah. And then everybody else that's caught in the middle is sort of like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> yep. So it's interesting. Well, there's always a scary amount of authoritarianism Yeah. Un- under a democracy. Uh, Napoleon came to power because of it. That's, tr- that's uh, true. I didn't even think about that. That's yeah. Um, to make a Star Wars analogy, Palpatine came to power. Absolutely. Perfect. Um, And there can be a certain argument made that Augustus Caesar came to power because of it. Okay. Um, That one's a little more, a little further out because there's a lot more moving parts involved there. Yeah. But Julius Caesar definitely uh, became dictator for life because of it. Yeah. Which was supposed to be. You got to remember, ancient Rome's motto was, uh, you know, the people and republic of Rome. Right. There were uh, they had a holiday called the Regifugium, where it was the refusal of kings, hmm. 
and to watch these things where an authoritarian, I, I don't talk political on here very much, but anybody that knows me knows where I come down at. There is a, a scary amount of authoritarianism behind Trump. Yeah. And, and it's not disguised. No. Which I'll, I'll at least give it that. At least people know what they're getting if they're supporting him. They should you're gonna know. Get a guy, yeah, you're going to get a guy who's going to throw the media out of his press conferences. You're gonna get a guy who's gonna who's gonna pick a fight on Twitter. This is what you're gonna get. He's also he's gonna he would take further um, what Bush and Obama both have done, which is when they've been faced with the Congress that they can't work with, they just go on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes they have no choice. Like they to actually deal with the situation. They have no choice, but he will, he'll take it just because he feels like it. Oh, absolutely. And here's the thing. Congress has abdicated their responsibility. Yeah, that's true, too. Anytime, and it, it's, it's not, I mean, it's more this one than anyone in history, but it's not just this time. Yeah. Congress has more and more given up powers, uh, refused to act, and abdicated their responsibility as a governing body. Um, our president is supposed to be very limited in his power, but they keep giving the president more and more purchase yeah. to do whatever he wants. It's it's frustrating. Yeah, it is. This is why I don't talk politics. Jeez. <laughs> I didn't even it, know I had some of these feelings. Well, it's it's the times. I mean, yeah, I've been is. political my whole life, but this, you know, there's few times that are like this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I go through periods where I'm real into it. What I found is that if I listen to political news and talk a lot, I am so spun out and so anxious that I just cannot enjoy life. So I have to give myself some room, you know? Yeah. You know, it's, I, I am glad there are other people out there like you who do take the time and energy and passion to do it because if it was left up to me, nothing would get done. <laughs> <laughs> That's just the way it'd be. You, you got to do what you got to do. Fine. Yeah. All right. So, uh, Ben, if people want to find you on the Internet, let's get your addresses one more time. Uh, so on Twitter, it's at Ben Comics. And if you want to look at my website, it's BenCohen.co, not com. Dot, dot co. Um, also, is there a book out there that right now you think everybody should be reading? Uh, Bully came out uh, last year, and that's done. And I'm working on Interabang right now. Uh, hopefully that'll be done by the end of the year. My personal feeling is wait for that one, but Bully was actually okay. So if you want to hit me up, I'll try to get you a copy. Um, the 2017 book, I think, is going to start something where it'll build, and we'll see how that goes. But I, I think it's going to be uh, something great. All right, everybody. Well, thank you for uh, tuning in to Geekish Cast. You can find us at geekishcast.com, on Facebook at facebook.com slash geekishcast. And I tweet from at the Geekish Cast. Ben, thank you for taking the time to come on. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you having me on. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. All right, everybody, we will catch you next time. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void 
void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.